This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. 78 with Dr. Nass. And please introduce yourself, ma'am. Hi, um, I'm Meryl Nass. I'm an internal medicine doctor. And... Um, I reached out to you to get you on my podcast, which is what we are doing right now. For those who didn't realize how obvious that was, that was probably the weirdest entry I've ever done to a podcast. But so I remember emailing you about, you know, let's talk all things COVID and about the lab leak theory. And I loved your response. And you were like, I'm not so sure on like the leak theory. And I thought maybe you didn't want to talk about that. So I was like, all right. And you were like, I'm pretty sure it was intentional. And I don't think it was a theory. And I was like, okay, this, this is my woman. So let's go into that. Because it's, I always look at it as, I don't think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. I think everyone does. But when you look at things like unrestricted warfare, when you look at outwardly public plans from the Chinese Communist Party, like the 100-year plan, you know, uh, Stealth War by Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, the 100-year marathon by former Assistant Se- or former Deputy Secretary of Defense uh, Michael Pillsbury, when we look at everything they talk about, and then not only that, it coming from Wuhan— and it directly, I think, helping remove a president and causing $10 trillion in economic damages, I don't think they deserve the benefit of the doubt that, that it's, this was intentional. Where do, you, where do you want to go with this? What are your thoughts on that? Okay, so I, I'm not familiar with the things you were just talking about. My um, opinion derives from the responses to the um, infection, to the pandemic, um, which were, um, when you look at them together, they had the effect of increasing the economic damage, um, prolonging the pandemic, and um, not taking care of the medical needs of people, suppressing the drugs that actually work when you get a COVID infection, and um, promoting uh, one drug, remdesivir, which is has not been shown to be helpful and has a lot of um, potential very serious side effects. So um, from my medical perspective, if you look at the way it was handled medically, the, you know, the masks, if the government wanted us to wear masks that worked, it could have handed out N95 masks and didn't have them at the beginning, but it certainly can have them now. In India, when you spend less than $3 to buy a, a medical packet, if you get COVID, you wind up with two N95 masks, a pulse oximeter, some gloves, um, ivermectin, doxycycline, Tylenol, you know, and a couple of other things. And they can do that in India, but we can't do that here. We can't show people how to make a mask that works you know, uh, make them available. Uh, I, I'm not in favor of masks. I think that the masks we use now are um, are a joke. I think that they're intended to be a joke because I, I actually have studied airborne transmission because I'm an anthrax expert. So I understand what you need to protect yourself from anthrax, tuberculosis, norovirus, 
Um, and you need the N95 masks that we use in the hospital have to be very tight around your face. They leave a red mark. Um, you have to breathe through layers of HEPA, and there is a charge on them also. Um, to, to So you actually do stop virus from getting through. You know, it's quite thick material by the time you have many HEPA layers and use a polypropylene um, material also with lots of fibers in it. So anyway, if, if, if we wanted people to use masks correctly, I've been waiting for a year and a half. The government has never told anybody how, how to make them work. Um, so I think they're, they're a pretend thing. The six-foot distancing is also another thing that for which there is absolutely no evidence that it's beneficial. It stops people spitting on you and spraying you if, if they have you know large droplets. But that's all it does. It does nothing for airborne transmission. And we know this virus can be transmitted via the airborne route and can get through the masks, through the airborne route. So anyway, that and, and the suppression of drugs and then all these um, crazy ways the public health agencies have lied, have changed their story, and have actually changed the way they collect information and develop statistics on cases, hospitalizations, deaths, what constitutes a positive PCR test. These have been... Uh, goalposts that are constantly changing and make it very difficult to ascertain the seriousness of the illness, how many people actually died of COVID, et cetera. So, so the, where I'm coming from is that to have put into place so many mechanisms that don't work, but actually prolong the pandemic and make it worse, you had to plan for that. There have been too many there's too many people that know what's wrong and the government has not responded to any of that. So it had to be deliberate in my view. It's uh, it's kind of funny. You know, I think, I think on this podcast, I've had the most accomplished people saying that masks don't work. You, yourself talking about anthrax, Dr. Stephen Hatfield talking about anthrax and Dr. Ken Alabek, the first deputy director of the Soviet bioweapon program on here talking about it and they're all the people that know the most who worked with the most dangerous substances on the planet are like these don't work what are you talking about <laughs> you know <laughs> it, it got out of a bsl4 lab what what is your homemade mask doing right it's you know if if your nuclear bunker doesn't survive a nuclear blast like what is your camping tent doing but <laughs> it does seem absurd right and it's i mean i also think it's just the oldest story known to man i think i think it's a money grab it's, I think, at best case scenario, it's a money grab. At worst case scenario, right. we're looking at. I was, yes. I was talking to Dr. George Farid yesterday. And, I, you know, we, it's what? It's 4 million worldwide deaths in 18 months. That's two thirds of the Holocaust in one third of the time. And. Actually, no, it's like, no, there's 6 million Jews, but there are also well, there's millions of Gypsies, Catholics, Roma, and others. Sinti, yeah, yeah, homosexuals, yes. uh, yeah. It's actually right. 12 million. It, yeah, at more than two. Yes. And then when you look at how many got decimated just in Russia with the German and Russian armies fighting, I mean, the, the, the Holocaust was huge. Oh, yeah. No, I, I use the 6 million statistic because it's the most widely known. But yeah, no, 12 million total Roma, Sinti, Gypsies, homosexuals, uh, communists, and then, yeah, 85 million total if you want to look at the entire war, the Eastern and Western fronts. Absolutely absurd. 
But what we're looking at now is, I mean, I think it's, I think it's coming into clarity, at least in my opinion, my non-medical opinion, that it's less of a pandemic and more of a genocide. And for two reasons, one, if it was intentionally released or not, and then two, regardless of the first point, let's say it was, let's say it was natural. Let's just take that hypothesis. Just let's argue it for a second. The response if it is known that ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, aspirin, vitamin D, turmeric, uh, quercetin, zinc, if it's known all of these work, and then there's a systematic and, I mean, it's evil, but it's a, it's impressively efficient censorship machine. I mean, I was banned permanently from YouTube for Dr. McCullough recommending four vitamins from Walmart, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's Dr. Robert Malone was on here, and he was like, yeah, it's not the best thing in the world to have. I was kicked off for that. Um, and it's, we're seeing this movement. I think it's very clear that it, it comes down to money. And if it's that intentional, it's one thing to push a bad vaccine, 15,000 deaths. I'm not making light of that. It's a whole nother thing to suppress studied, generic, proven medications that could save, in Dr. McCullough's opinion, 85% of the 650,000 dead. And in Dr. Fareed's opinion, 99% of the 650,000 dead. So regardless if it was released intentionally or not, the subsequent cover-up of working medications, and then not only that, the coercion, is not only a violation of the Nuremberg Code, I mean, this seems to be an intentional medical genocide. Certainly, the people who are behind this um, are not afraid of letting people die. But even much bigger than what we've seen in terms of medical deaths, you know, illnesses from COVID, are the projected 250 million or more who will die of starvation because of the interruptions to the economy, people not being allowed to go to work, um, especially in places like India. So, I mean, that's crazy. There was no reason really to do that and and to persist with it. Now, you know, we always kind of hear, how do we get out of COVID? Well, we need this many vaccines. At a certain point, though, it's like, does not seem like we know how to get out of COVID, but they're not letting people use the medications to get out of COVID. It seems like it's right. 1984, right? It was ne- the purpose was never to win the war. The purpose was war in perpetuity. Exactly. Exactly. So what can we do other than what we're, and I always say this, you know, it's the cheesy eye rolling, be the change you want to see in the world. But is there anything other to do than what we're doing right now? I'm interviewing doctors. Doctors are giving me time out of their day, which I always appreciate, and trying to get the message out there. I mean, you can see Joe Rogan slowly going more and more at it, which I love. I think it's brilliant. But is there anything other to do than to do what we're doing right now? I think that the split between the, the people, they, let me just say the, the Trump versus Democrat split, which has become the never hydroxychloroquine versus the hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin split, um, or those who trust the vaccines and those who don't. I mean, that um, huge crevice needs to be healed. That's the most important thing. And if we yell at each other, it will never be healed. So we have to realize that we've all been fed a load of nonsense. You know, we've been seeing political theater for many years. 
some people have suggested, which I, I never came up with this idea, but I thought it was brilliant, that Trump was actually put into the presidency in order to create a great divide, uh-huh. which um, uh, allowed them to to create this uh, pandemic at the right time and um, ma- and maintain it. And then by having Trump continue to talk about how he's going to run for president or may run for president next go-round, they can take the boogeyman for the other side and um, and keep, you know, hauling him out. Yeah. And creating a division. I've, I've heard that theory before, and I do think, and I, and I hate to think about it because it's like, oh, man, like, then like, we really don't have a chance. But it's brilliant, right? Who would you bring in? You know, you have you have the classical liberal and it's they're always for free speech. You know, never trust anyone over 30. Don't trust the man, man, you know, peace, love. Well, how do you get them, the people who are going to protect those liberties the most? You bring in the evil orange man. And now <laughs> you've got them chomping at. I mean, you've got these people who are frothing at the mouth saying, you know, protect big government, big government. big. They know it's best for you. This marriage between the White House and big tech is for your own good. And it's like. Are y'all really like in the same lineage as like the, you know, Woodstock group? And not only that, but yeah, what better way to do it than to bring in a divisive figure, have a rift. And then, I mean, it's the tale as old as as time, right? The left and the right going at each other. And as George Carlin says, so that the rich run away with all the money. And in this case, all the control. Um, Kind of a weird tangent. Have you ever heard of the the World War I, the uh, Christmas truce? Yes, yes. For everyone listening, it's it's where nineteen uh, in World War One, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, whenever it was, there was one day uh, on Christmas. I believe it started on Christmas Eve, where uh, uh, the the Germans and then the Allied forces stopped firing at each other, and they started. I think the Germans started singing like O Tannenbaum, and they started singing, you know. You know, Christmas tree and silent night, holy night. And then one by one, they started getting up over the trenches and holding their hands up and, you know, don't shoot, don't shoot. And they actually had a truce and they were playing soccer. They were giving each other chocolates. And you can read all these journal entries. And they're so, I mean, they tug at your heart because you see all these guys talking. You're, you know, it's, if I may paraphrase, it's like, you know, Hans isn't that bad of a guy. You know, Han's got a wife. He's got two kids, one more on the way, and his machine gun jams. And, hey, so does mine. And they're looking at each other. We just talk different languages. We all pray to the same God. And they start to realize, they're like, oh, we're being pitted against each other. And then, well, what did the powers that be do? They came in. They removed all the officers that allowed that. And they said, if anyone does a truce in the future, you shoot them. It kind of seems like... The more you talk to people from, quote unquote, the other side, you start to realize, you know, me and my siblings, we have opposite political views. But it's like, I mean, that's the same kid I had a bunk bed with. We played basketball together. He's not a bad guy. And then part of you goes, well, that's an exception. That's my little brother. I know he's a good guy. But those other liberals, well, and then I talk to him and I'm like, well, no, you're pretty level headed, too. But that's another exception. At a certain point, you got to start wondering is this an exception or is this whole boogeyman created? Because every, I'm a conservative guy, every liberal person I've had on here, we've agreed to disagree in just the most cordial, respectful, hey, you know, I see it your way, you see it my way. What are you doing tonight? Friday, are you going to get some drinks? Yeah, man, I'm going to go get some beer with my friends. And it's like, is this all manufactured? 
And I mean, and what better way to do it than with a pandemic? It's, I know we're kind of going off into the weeds now, but that's what I like about this podcast. It's, I guess I'll hand it back to you, Dr. Nass. What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I, I think you're right. I, I think that there are some divisions, but that they've been played up enormously and they're not important. Everybody wants the same thing. And I think almost every American wants, you know, what the Constitution guaranteed for us, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, you know, our Declaration of Independence. We have good documents. We had a good system or we had the the bones of a good system. Didn't always work out in practice that way. Um, But we've been tossing more and more of it overboard and there's about nothing left. What we have, luckily, are we have a lot of police officers, a lot of military service members who feel the same way I do, that, you know, this is not good. This should not stand. I wasn't sent here to, you know, put people who don't wear masks in jail. And I think as long as we can all um, realize that we're on the same, basically on the same side, Things will be okay, and we have, but we have, but it's the people with arms. So more um, draconian measures have have been enforced on Australians and Western Europeans who don't have the ability to have guns the way Americans do. Yeah. Um, I and I mean they're already developing robot policemen, and we need to win this battle before the robot policemen take over. I'm so happy you just said that. I have brought that up here. I'm going to interrupt you. I've brought that up on this podcast so many times that the fight is only viable until robot and automation have become developed enough that they don't, because then it no longer, right now if every policeman just dropped their guns and said, I'm not enforcing these rules, we'd be good. It does not matter when they have a fleet of bulletproof robots they don't need to listen to you. Sorry, back to you. But I'm so happy you brought. No one's ever brought that up in 500 episodes. Yes, it's it's we're we're 20 minutes in. We're already on the robot policeman. This is beautiful. I love it. But sorry, back to you. Yeah, no, I never heard anyone say that before either. Besides me, um, but I I think that's important. And I don't I don't I think it's only a very few years that we have to get this right, which is why it's important to really talk to the people you know i mean my my own family is mad at me you know they think i'm off i'm i watch fox news and i love trump well i don't love trump and i don't watch fox news but you know i'm sorry if some of them have the same ideas i do but they did come out of my brain and um somehow the propaganda has managed to um make my relatives and many other people think of me as a personal threat to them when I'm not. And we have to make clear that we aren't and they're not the enemy. The enemy is who's imposing this on us. The enemy is the fact that we have a a system of law that has allowed all these emergency edicts to, to become pseudo laws out of nowhere Um, with no backing, with no legislatures, you know, just a few uh, dictators in every state get to make the rules. And a few dictators in Washington who say, well, this is what we're doing. You know, we're going to have to roll it out with OSHA, but all of you people just have to be vaccinated and that's it. And that was never uh, allowed before. We had laws that prevented that. The government was not allowed to influence medical care, the federal government that was left to the states, you see, but Biden has usurped that power and is 
under the, um, you know, rubric of emergency regulations. So anyway, we have to we have to get rid of them and go back to the rule of law. That's important too. It is, and it's you know I've you know in, in two thousand eight I was eighteen I voted for Obama two thousand twelve I was pre med getting ready to go to medical school voted for Romney decided not to go to medical school twenty sixteen I was or twenty sixteen I was very depressed I'd lost my brother to suicide two years prior and I was like man I just need like I need free health care so I voted for Bernie in the primaries and I didn't vote in the election in twenty twenty. I voted for Trump. My mind is malleable and I change and I change what I support and what I believe in based on where I am in life, the facts that are coming in and the best analysis that I can make at a given time. It's so easy to be written off as you're a Fox News watching. I've never watched Fox News in my life. I don't watch TV. You know, it's it's, you know, every morning, maybe TMI, every morning I walk to the gym about a mile away (coughs) and sometimes I fart. You know who else went for morning walks and farted? Hitler. We're not the same. We just kind of both do that. He didn't like smoking. Neither do I. Am I a Nazi? I don't think so. My grandparents killed Nazis. Literally killed Nazis. There is just such a, a blanket dehumanization of you are this, and, and, and I'm guilty of it too. Well, you know, those far leftists, they want to burn our constitution and set up a communist dictatorship. And then, I, you know... I look at some of them and it's like, what? They're drinking beer at a football game saying the, the net singing the national anthem too. And it's, am I just as guilty of it? But it seems to be that as long as we just keep pushing these insane divide and we fuel it with these caricatures of the other side, right? Every person on the right can't read, has messed up teeth, has two machine guns and, you know, says, I only listen to the Bible. And everyone on the left has purple hair. There are 11 genders and they want to burn the White House. And it's like, those people do exist in the same way that, like, I don't know, a five-legged zebra has probably existed. Maybe not that rare. Four-leaf clover, they're rare, but they're really not, they're not a, a, a discernible percentage. And at least in my opinion, I could be wrong. And I've brought this up before, is is the importance of using, uh, or the, the ability to manipulate people's perceptions of reality when everything is only through a screen, right? I mean, right now we're talking via camera, you know, but when it's via text, it's, you know, you never know what people are meaning. What are their inflections they're putting on words? And this is more the conspiracy-minded side of myself, but, I mean, you know, we're looking at right now, right? Today is September 28th, 2021, for all future listeners, right? We're seeing these chants across the nation at football games, you know, F Joe Biden, whatever you think of Biden is whatever. And that gives you one perception. Now, a year ago, when no one was allowed to assemble, when no one was allowed to be around each other, your only perceptions were filtered through a, a phone, right? You had to be six feet apart. You got to stay home, flatten the curve, protect your grandma. Well, when everything is through a screen, and you go maybe look at the comments on a YouTube video versus where you're in a stadium and you hear 100,000 people saying one thing. And then if someone told you nobody's saying F. Joe Biden, you'd be going, I'm, I'm hearing it all around me. It's so loud that the rafters are shaking. Versus you go to the comments on a YouTube video while you're self-quarantining and you may be saying F. Joe Biden or whatever, F. Donald Trump, insert whatever. But then there are, for every one of you, there are a thousand bots that are saying the opposite. And then someone goes, whew, Tommy, you're the only one saying F. Joe Biden. 
Well, I start to believe that, right? I mean, what was that psychology or that sociology experiment they did back in the 60s or 70s where they took 10 people, put them in the classroom, and they put two lines on the board. One was straight, one was very obviously slightly curved. And they said, which one is straight? And they took turns. And the first nine people said the curved one was straight. And the 10th guy said, I guess that one's straight too. What the 10th guy didn't know is that the first nine people were all in on the experiment. They wanted to see what did what did vocalized like community group think do to one's own mind. And then afterwards, when they told him about the experiment, the guy went, yeah, I thought the one on the left was straight, but everyone else said that the one on the right was straight, so I said it. Well, if you can only interact with reality through a phone, which is made possible by a pandemic, it's very easy to manipulate people's perceptions of reality and then not only perceptions but if you're that 10th guy your perception is everyone else thinks it's straight well it moves from perceptions to your own beliefs when you go well i guess if everyone else is saying it then it's also straight and i don't really know where i'm going with this but it does seem that if you can get everyone to live only behind a screen and then when you don't like what someone says like me you can just ban it from youtube it's a lot easier to have that top-down control where there is no uh, there is no decentralized power or opinion when everything is dictated through just a handful of big tech corporations and one person says, the vaccines are safe and effective. And then everyone says, you know, Sig Heil, the vaccine's safe and effective. We kind of got to go along with it. And yeah, I don't really know where I'm going with this. I'm kind of ranting now. But uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Well, what you're saying is that the the overt things that you may be sent on your screens can be um, a form of propaganda, and but there also may be covert things going on that through the screens also that we're not aware of. You have to realize that these devices have heard every word you've said for a number of years, every time you've carried your phone with you, and so somewhere there is a file on you, and someone, you know, some algorithms have classified your politics, you know, your belief systems, all sorts of things, and they have probably additional ways of um, molding your thoughts. So I guess one way to help people, uh, if we can help people, change the way they think would be to get them to stop watching things but are we still going to speak in places that our phones and our tvs can hear us or our smart washing machines and refrigerators um you know i mean we've known for a long time that the tvs are are listening mm -hmm. not the phones um we know that some huge building was built in bluffdale to store all of this tremendous information that's being collected electronically on everyone. Um, we just don't know what the algorithms are like, what they're doing with it. Um, we don't know whether there are other frequencies that could be sent to us through these devices and, and can also influence the way we think. We don't know why there was a decade of the brain. I think there were two decades of the brain in about the last 40 years. So a tremendous amount of taxpayer money was spent to try to learn how the brain worked and how to influence it. And um, it's certainly, there, there are a number of different people that claim that brain waves can be read and your thoughts can be read, you know, using machines. I don't know if that's true, but I think it's certainly possible. 
And, um, you know, how does that influence how we choose to go about our lives? Uh, I had a friend um, 20 years ago who would only talk to me about serious things when we, we were out, you know, outdoors away from all devices. Um, that, that may be what's necessary. Yeah. We don't know what's necessary. Yeah. I had a friend like that back in college. I always thought he was nuts. Now I look back at him and I'm like, you were brilliant. You're absolutely brilliant. You know, he's like, let's go. Any little thing. It was just, let's just go for a walk. Just a little walk, you know? And, but you're right. I mean, right. FMRIs, you know, functional brain or functional magnetic resonant images, right? they can look at, you know, they can tell different things you're thinking. And then aren't they, I believe, and this, I might be fake news, but I believe they're at a point where they can slowly reconstruct. I think it was in Australia, not now, ironically enough. I think it was in Australia like five or six years ago where they actually used like an fMRI to look at this woman's brain during a trial. And they showed her like the room where the victim was murdered and asked if she had ever been in it before. And, uh, or, you know, if she could describe it. And they could see in her mind that they could sort of like back translate or decode that she was constructing an image of her mind. So it wasn't even the polygraph or like, have you been in this room before? It'd be like if mm -hmm. someone asked you, you know, Dr. Nass, have you talked to Tommy before? But when they said that, they could then look at her brain. And if you had never talked to me before, you'd be like, no. Now, if you were very good at lying and you're on a polygraph, you could say no. And maybe you could train yourself to lie. But if when they say, have you talked to Tommy before? And then in your head, they're subconsciously and involuntarily, there pops up an image of this guy in a blue shirt screaming about robots and DARPA and whatever. For a brief moment, they're like, you have seen him before. So I'm with you 100% on that. Not only ro not only the robot police, but I'm, I'm with you with that too. Is I've always said, you know, if you went back to like a caveman, you know, he didn't know radio waves existed. If you went back to George Washington, he didn't know that the double helix existed. But that doesn't mean that they weren't there. They were still there. It was just they were swimming in it and they didn't know it. So, I mean, we're looking at right now, not, not even right now, like the last two years or so, right? Havana syndrome. CIA case officers and U.S. embassies around the world are talking about these terrible headaches, nausea. No one else in the building will get them but them. It's very clear it's some sort of directed energy weapon, which isn't sci-fi. I mean, Reagan and Lieutenant General, uh, Lieutenant General James Abramson were talking about it with SDI, the Strategic Defense Initiative, getting excited back in the 80s with directed energy weapons, particle beams. If they can do all this now, and if your brain can ping radio towers and use Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, well, who's to say that you don't have that thing maybe, you know, what, what is a literal dog whistle, right? It's a silent thing that makes the canines go crazy, but you can't hear it. What if you talked about uh, that building in Bluffdale? I mean, there's also the Utah Data Center, right? The NSAS Data Center that we know about that stores... <laughs> That's, oh, Bluffdale. that's Bluffdale. Okay, way ahead of me. I I love you. You're my, you're my new favorite guest. And it's well, if they're looking at everything and they're categorizing every little thing. I mean, what do we see on the surface? You put a hashtag on an image, right? Or if I go to YouTube and I type in uh, dogs and roller skates, I can find a video of like a dog and a roller skate. Well, what's what do I start getting recommended? Dogs and roller skates or other funny videos. If that's on the surface on a free public commercial. Uh, product or, or utility, what is advanced and classified? And if it's and if it's taking all this stuff of all of me and categorizing me, I'm sure I am a terrorist in their eyes. 
and then they have my phone. Well, I mean, how far-fetched would it be to go, huh, this guy's a terrorist. Let's, uh, let's start pinging him. What are we, maybe just harassment, right? Maybe just splitting headaches every day. Uh, maybe uh, brain fog, you know, just little things, just kind of ping. And then not only that, can they then look at my data and see how that changes me? Well, we identified dissident Tommy Kerrigan, file number 999 b and we, uh, so we started hitting him with a dose of X, Y, and Z because we know that in the classified thing, like you talked about, the two decades of the brain, the other thing that no one talks about is so there's the Human Genome Project. We know all about that. There was a much darker and much more well-funded program to map the entire human brain. We know about DARPA, the Defense Advanced, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, created the internet, created the hydrogen bomb. We don't know a lot about IARPA, the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Agency, which is with that holy coveted agency, the CIA, they might be looking at me and going, he's doing this, 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 and this. File says, and it might not be a conscious person, it might be an algorithm, ping him with frequency this. And they do it for a week. And then they go, he's not interested in that anymore. Now he's only interested in dogs. Maybe they're dumbing me down. Well, and not only that, you could Pavlovian train me. You could go, let's stop hitting him. No, now he's talking about COVID and election fraud. Let's ping him again. Now he's only watching TV. Well, now they're training me to subconsciously go, you know, life's a lot easier when I just watch American Idol. Every time I start reading the Declaration of Independence, I get nauseous. I mean, we're going to this very dark, dark world. And is there anything we can do to fight it? And I don't know. I love that quote. If the situation was hopeless their propaganda wouldn't be necessary. It's, what do you think about that? Is it is it hopeless to fight or is, is that the only thing we have to fight? No, no, of course it's not hopeless. And, uh, so the other side appears to have a lot of leaders of nations, leaders of the WHO, the UN, you know, all these international organizations, lots of very wealthy foundations um, are all working together, um, following the same, you know, same script. But there are 7.9 billion people on the planet, you know, and they're maybe in the thousands. There's a lot more of us than there are of them, and um, we're a problem for them, and we can definitely win this, you know. Um, as I said before, unless they... Um, gain control of all the weapons. Right now, they need people, mm -hmm. you know? There's no nuclear weapons launch without people. There's, uh, as long as they need people to enforce their edicts, we can win. The escape velocity is when they don't need us anymore, right? And we're already kind of seeing that with algorithms, right? It's... I would imagine that when I got banned and when I appealed the ban and then was had my appeal rejected, I don't think that there was some employee at Google headquarters going, oh, we got to look at Tom. It's a computer. Why wouldn't it, right? Your, your profit margin. But that that still exists in sort of like the ether. What happens, and, you, and this is what I always bring up, is what happens when it goes from these ideas, these algorithms, to physical force projection to physical, right, Boston Dynamics, those robots doing flips, what happens when it goes to them, right? And you look at riots in the future, and it's throw all the Molotovs you want. These things are bulletproof. They can fly. They're coordinated. It's a hive mind. And 
it's I've often thought but Tommy yeah you know we may find the frequencies that can control those guys too oh yeah oh yeah it's it's I'm I'm so happy I met you this is you are my new you're my new conspiracy co-host is there's never it's never I don't think it's ever hopeless right it's the whoever invented the Gatling gun uh, he invented it because he thought it would make war so unpalatable because it would be so disgusting. And that didn't happen at all. He got he got rich as an arms manufacturer, right? The nuclear bomb, like, this is too evil to use. No, let's use it immediately. The morning it was successfully detonated, July 16th, 1945. That evening, it was put on a, it was put on the USS Indianapolis to go to Tinian Island so we could use it on the Japanese, which I'm all for. My grandpa was going to be part of the... Uh, was going to be part of the mainland invasion. I wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the A-bomb. But what did we do with that? The first thing we did is we tried to build it into the hydrogen bomb and then effectively did it. But you would then think, right, well, they've made the hydrogen bomb. It's it's over now. They can control the world. And it's, well, no, then other nations create the hydrogen bomb. Well, they've created a supercomputer. Well, then other nations create a supercomputer. And it's like viruses and immune systems. It's better weapons and better defenses. And I don't think it will ever be over. When there's a robot army, there's going to be a bunch of homemade EMPs, right? There's going to be, it's going to go on perhaps forever. Um, I, want to, I, want, I want to pick your brain on this. So because I believe you and I have, have the similar thoughts on, you know, there's kind of this moment where we, we have to beat it before then, is as long as they still need us, as long as they still need people to carry out their rules, as opposed to, having robots that just listen well they don't listen they're just not conscious they're just machines they're just extensions of the tyrants they're technological extensions of the tyrants is well eventually we know if you can't tell you you have to kind of throw your elbows to get in on here i get excited and talk a lot we know that with every power group it's never a monolith right there are always vying power factions because the very thing that defines these people are a thirst for power. Well, once you've eviscerated all the enemies, you start looking at the guy above you and going, I want the throne, right? It's always, it's always the case. And in, in the U.S., you know, JFK was scared of a coup, right, with LeMay and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. We know that happened with Russia, with the Soviet Union, and the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. We didn't know which faction we were talking to. We know that, we always know that's the case. It's not a monolith. So after that forced projection, when they put the whole world under their thumb, they're going to want to start battling each other. Well, eventually, when they all have the best weapons, the next thing will be, this is the analogy I always use, you could give me 50 football players. I'm never going to win a game because I don't understand football. It doesn't matter how many players I have. You give me the best team in the world. I'm a terrible coach. You could give Bill Belichick. You could probably give him three players, and he's going to beat me because although I have better force he is a better tactician. Well, eventually, this is where I'm going with all of this. Eventually, when all these power factions have these robot armies, the only thing that's going to work is we need better tacticians. Well, eventually, you hit the ceiling of the human brain. And you go, you know, our, our, we have these tacticians, but they got to sleep. They have mood swings. They run and you just got broken up with. What about AI? Well, then you dial that up to a 1,000. Eventually, these AIs are going to get so strong that it's going to be AIs battling each other. And this is where I think I lose a lot of people. 
eventually we know from at least sci-fi you have to instill like the three laws right you got you know, hurt, can't hurt humans can't whatever well what happens when the ai's in control of the ro- and this is where people just unsubscribe when the ai's in control of the robot armies of the power factions are fighting each other eventually they might scan the whole world and go wait the number one rule of this is like we you know it's the hippocratic oath like we can do no harm well they've got everyone in gulags and they've got everyone under the thumb they might look at the people in charge and go, that's the cancer. They might turn back on them. And I'm only bringing this up to you because, you know, you're thinking along the same lines as me as the, the robot police. But that's kind of my hope is the end weapon is is God tier strong AI. And if that is developed with the three laws to protect the tyrants using them, it could be a catch 22. It could lead to wiping out of them and i know we started as a COVID podcast i think it's a good novel um, <laughs> I think what the future will bring um but i think it's it's really important to inculcate in our youth you know the the values that make us truly human beings uh you know respect for each other res- you know good laws that are good for people that not laws to to harm people um there there's so much of value that western and other civilizations have created we don't really want to junk it all we we don't want to get to a point where ai is in charge of the planet um maybe we will become smart enough if we allow our children if we teach our children to be smart rather than dumb which is you know i went to school in the 50s and 60s and um and medical school in the 70s since then education has just gotten worse just steadily worse in public education in the united states um and and Bill Gates has certainly had a hand in making it worse with his common core and these other cockamamie ideas that were never tested before he spent many millions of dollars and got his people to help impose on much most of the United States for years. So, I mean, I would like to see technology in the hands of the people and used for good. And maybe if we can educate our people, see our culture has, has just gone off the rails because money has, has been the primary value. It's been okay for people to ignore anything else and go for lots of money. And we've emulated them. You know, we've, we've raised them up as, as the princes of our society. And that's the problem because those, those those people are sociopaths and those are not the people we should be trying to emulate. We should be emulating those who have something to teach the rest of us, um, who have something useful to impart. So um, I, I think we need a culture war and we really don't need a whole lot of AI and we certainly don't want to rely on algorithms that will lead us in directions nobody can predict. Uh, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I, I think it's uh, in directly opposing what I just went through or what I just said. Yeah, I, I don't think it's to sort of push. I don't think it's good to push the responsibility onto AI because that's no different than what got us into this problem. Our, the dear leaders know what's best for us. The intelligence. Right. It. It's it's about thinking for yourself. And um, 
you know, I think one way to go about it is you almost kind of have to make learning like cool. And, you know, uh, I, I, I never, I was pre-med in college. I got into medical school in Miami, decided not to go. I studied out of fear, fear that I wasn't going to get in. But, you know, when I decided not to go, I kind of just stopped learning and reading for a couple of years because I didn't have to. And then starting in like 2016, I started doing this where I would listen to audiobooks because it was easier than reading. But what I would do is I'd start to play video games, but I would just mute the video games. I started with like Solitaire on like an iPad and then I went to an Xbox. And I've been doing that every day for about five years now. And I've probably listened to upwards of, I don't know, two, three hundred audiobooks and probably learned more in the last five years than I did in the prior 25 years. And I try to sling that to people where I'm like, try it out, right? It's anyone can say what you should do, right? We should all go to the gym and exercise versus like, do you want to go play basketball? Like one of them's a lot more fun and kind of in a Pavlovian response, you're fine with exercising, right? Versus like, no, you have to suffer, you know, no pain, no gain. Well, to me, I have now turned learning into like the most fun part of my day. I love doing podcasts. I like going to the gym in the morning. I meditate every day. My favorite part of the day is when I'm finished, take a hot shower, turn the air conditioner down low, put on big baggy uh, pajamas, sit in a lazy boy. I play video games. And right now I'm listening to a book on the collapse of China, all about the paper tiger of their economic system. Something that you five years ago could have never paid me to sit down and read. Yet now, in the last week, I went through a 40-hour audiobook on Krupp, K-U-R-U-P-P, the, the German arms uh, uh, dynasty that lasted for like 400 years. It was a 40-hour audiobook. But I listened to it because I'm running around, flying fighter jets, blowing stuff up. I think in a way, we almost it might be that we have to turn education fun. You, you don't it doesn't need to be, you don't need to go to college and get this state approved course. Like I've learned more just about the history of the world in the last five years than I have in the previous 25. Cause I just, it doesn't matter what topic it is. It doesn't matter if it's about Krupp or if it's about China or if it's about, you know, Eisenhower's mistress or whatever. The more you learn about any amount of history from anywhere, you kind of start putting these puzzle pieces together and you learn more about the past and then you look at it with the current, uh, with the present and you'll learn more than any college education could ever give you. I think the way to do that is you have to turn it fun. I, I think you have to make it cool. You know, Joe Rogan always talks about books and I think it's one of the best things he does because it's this rich tattooed muscular guy talking about reading and it's like, it's, you need a good role model. And I think that's where we need to go, but I also fear that everything we're saying is just, is it just idyllic rambling? Are we talking about how things should be? Is there no, I guess, basis for why this would happen? It is, I don't know. Well, people are um, taking their, many people I know are taking their children out of school and homeschooling. And the remarkable thing is that in, in the past, kids who were homeschooled seem to do better than kids who have been through the standard public education. I mean, that's remarkable considering the, the variability of, of the education people are receiving or teaching themselves at home. It suggests that, uh, you know, giving kids more freedom is terribly valuable. It 
also suggest, I mean, I children have such great memories. If you can get them interested in subjects and then let them go and get into detail in that subject, they'll remember a lot of what they, they acquire for a long time. And, you know, just getting deep into a single subject is enough. It teaches you how to think about things. Um, so, so I'm with you. It should be fun. It doesn't all have to be fun, but it, they, it because, like, you know, I read technical books or technical papers, and they're not fun. But I want to read them anyway because I want to know what's in them. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, you can define fun in different ways. Um, I don't play video games. To me, that would be torture. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's I think you're right. It's it's not 100 percent fun. Actually, I would argue that it's it never starts fun. As soon as I wake up, I turn on an audiobook and I don't want to start listening. I'm like, oh, why? Like I've been awake for 30 seconds and I'm listening to like an economic paper on like China's 1990. I'm like, ah. but I just start it. And then you're right. It's more so I love knowing the knowledge. It's when it's mm-hmm. over, I go, I'm happy I talked about that because now I'm, you know, now I'm talking about this with Dr. Nass on this podcast and it wouldn't be possible. You know, I, the reason I can make, we, the, you know, the Christmas truce in World War One. You know, there was a long book that got to that point, but I love having that nugget that I can pull out and go, oh, this is in my, this is in my toolbox now. So I, I would agree with that. I love what you said, though, is if you find one thing and just kind of you can go get lost in it, it teaches. Have you ever read The Alchemist by Paulo? I, I never know how to say Yes, actually, oh, oh, just um, six months ago, a friend yeah. gave it to me. Yeah. I, yeah. think, I think that's the last physical book I read in 2015. <laughs> I love what he talks about in it. Um, for everyone listening, last name is Cielo Coelho, C-O-E-H-L-O, whatever it is. He won't respond to my emails. He won't come on my podcast. But that book is great because it talks about, I mean, I, it's, it's been five years since I read it or six years. But what does he always say? It's like all the rules of the universe could be like written on like that on like one grain of sand. Like you don't need to memorize these like vast, you know, you don't need to know how every every physical law in the universe works. I mean, you really got to know like the four physical forces. And then from there, you can extrapolate everything. It's you only need to know the base operating functions. You don't need to know anything. You're right. I, I know how to connect to the Internet. I know how to send an email and I know how to screen record and I know how to upload with that. I've done 577 episodes. What he talks about in the alchemist is in anything, you can kind of learn all the lessons of the world. And for me in college, that was organic chemistry. That was my favorite class. Everyone hated it. It was my favorite class because I would just get lost in these puzzle pieces. And then there would be a moment when it all clicked and all of a sudden you could synthesize any molecule and you add heat, add palladium, remove a ketone and aldehyde, do this, do that, nine-step reactions, blah, 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 blah. And then you can kind of create anything. And to me, it was the most, it was like magic. You could just sort of do an incantation. You could write all these, you know, structures on your paper and then get to the end result. But it taught me so much about all of the courses because it taught me, all right, you know, the end result may look insane, but if you go through the work now, you will get there. The analogy I always use is, 
you know, when you're in elementary school. If Bob has five apples and Susie takes four. How many does they have left? One. If Tommy has 500 podcasts and Dr. Nastas one with them, how many more does he have? Well, now he's at 501. It had nothing to do with the apples or the podcast. What you're learning is addition and subtraction. I think if you go into any one topic and just truly, like you said, just immerse yourself in it, you can really, and this is a big statement, but you can really learn like the secrets of the universe in just about anything. All the lessons are there. They're just, they're just dressed up in different ways. Like Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. It's the same 17 steps, whether it's the Bible or Harry Potter. It's whether it's organic chemistry or how to knit a quilt or build a kite or I don't know how to build a wagon wheel and go out to the gold rush the secrets of the universe exist in every every niche you just you just have to jump into it head first and really I mean you got to learn it on your own you don't don't take top-down dictation and I think that's kind of how we dug ourselves into this hole now is what did the doctor say wear two masks and stand 6.5 feet apart all right, well, that's what we're doing now. You don't need to wear masks anymore. Take off the mask. You need nine booster shots. Give me the shot. No one's thinking. And it's, I don't know. But that's, it's, you know, that's what this podcast is. That's what you and I are doing right now. We started with COVID and, you know, we've run the gamut. And it's, I don't know. You, I don't know. I babble a lot. If you can't tell, I just get excited and start talking. But yeah, I don't know. Dr. Nass, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think people should have access to drugs for COVID. I think everybody agrees with that. I think they should have no fear about this illness. Like, uh, I didn't listen to your podcast with doctors Farid and McCullough uh, and Malone, but I know what they're likely to have said, and I am in full agreement. The drugs work. We could get we could get everybody over this illness, almost everybody, very easily. Probably some elderly people would die, but not many. Certainly, Fareed has shown early treatment in thousands of people saves all of them. You know, if you have late treatment, when you're already in a, a terrible situation with autoimmunity, cytokine storm, and thrombosis, you, you may not be able to save everybody, and it's going to be a struggle. But you can treat them before they get to that point. And then they won't get to that point. That's what people need to know. There's a way out of this. It's not that hard. The drugs are inexpensive and they can be manufactured easily. And we can make enough for everybody on the planet. And there are evil forces preventing that from happening. And instead of fighting each other, we need to fight to get the treatments we need. And we need to fight to stop these people from doing any more gain-of-function research, with it, which is a euphemism for biological warfare, you know, creating deadly pathogens out of uh, bad viruses or other viruses and bacteria. We don't need that. We don't want it. It's no good for anybody, um, and it needs to be gone. It needs to be gone. We have, we have laws. We have an international treaty. Almost everyone signed it that said you're not supposed to do that. And um, the United States has been particularly bad at trying to find ways around it, you know, wiggling in, making sure that the language of that treaty is not tightened up to prohibit these, these biological warfare experiments and then developing the product. Um, but we have those laws in place. If we act, uh, actually obeyed them, 
clarified the meaning of the words in them, got everybody to agree, uh, you know, and, and signed the uh, tightened treaty, we could stop that. We need to stop the uh, development of biological warfare agents. Um, we need to stop the development of chemical warfare agents. Um, the the theme is trust but verify. And whether you're a Reaganite, you know, an Obamaite, a Trumpite, I mean, everybody can agree. You trust and you inspect and you verify, and you stop this. Um, you you re- you and you know we have to stop the leaders from controlling our. Access to healthcare. We have to stop accepting their bullshit vaccines when they knew this vaccine was taking the most toxic part of this virus and turning it into a vaccine and injecting everybody with basically a toxin. And the toxin may well induce a brief immune response that will protect you for a few months. But you're taking the risk of illness from the toxin. Why do that? when you could have ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine and possibly other drugs, because in vitro, there have been many drugs that have been effect, somewhat effective against this particular virus. Um, so if we acted like normal human beings, this would have been over. But the goal seems to have been to employ the pandemic to create societal changes that a small group of elites wanted. Um, I think they they needed to prolong the pandemic. They wanted to impoverish us. They wanted people who were paying rent to stop paying rent. That impoverishes landlords. Then at some point, they were going to require all that back rent. And of course, people didn't have it. Throw them out, get the buildings empty, buy them cheap from the landlords, you know, why did they allow the big box stores to be open when the small stores have more windows and doors per cubic meter, could ventilate much better than a big box store? But the big stores got to stay open and the small stores had to shut down. That was to kill, that was deliberate to kill Main Street. Um, so once enough people just say, enough, I'm not complying, I am not going to ask people coming to my, you know, I've had my restaurant closed for a year. Now it's open. And you want me to throw out customers because they can't show me a vaccine certificate? I'm not doing it. You know, enough people say no, it can't be policed. It can't be enforced. It will end. We just have to get up to that critical mass and we have to do it, you know, quickly. It It, it is so apparent that it's about choking out every tiny business right? You don't have to pay rent, then demand the rent, and then they're, they lose it, and then BlackRock comes in and buys it. The more, And then you get rid of every tiny business, so you only can go to Walmart and Target, and you got to use Amazon. You know, you kill out every other tiny platform, so you only have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. The entire thing is about having all of the access to all of your daily needs and entertainment and food and water and shelter. I mean, truly, like, the carbon cycle of your life, if you can just put it into a handful of companies, it's very easy to control the CEOs of a handful of companies and thus control the world. It, it's, it, the, the, the Great Reset is so apparent, but you're right, it's, there's this 
well, I don't want to be the one to stand up. I don't want to be the one to fight back. But the reality is, is this whole thing is predicated upon no one's going to fight back, right? It's for a while I shamefully self-censored on YouTube. I was like, I'm going to stop talking about COVID. I don't want to get banned. And then eventually I was like, what am I doing? How can I look at someone else and go, we got to fight for free speech. Tommy, you should fight for uh, fight for uh, free speech. No, not me. I don't want to do it. But you got to do it. All right. Well, so I got banned from YouTube and it sucked. And that was about 99% of my viewership. But it's, uh, you know, you do have to be the change you want to see in the world. And there's there's a freedom in that as well. Not, it's not just an idyllic saying, you got to be the change you want to see in the world. Well, what it also does is it liberates you. Because even if it doesn't work, you still did it. And to you, what else can you do? I remember my dad used to say, you know, when I played basketball in middle school, he's like, leave it all on the court. And it doesn't matter. You run until you truly can't run anymore. You know, try to keep up. It doesn't matter if you throw up because you're so exhausted. Just put it all out there. Well, dad, what if we still lose? You can go to bed easy because you're like, I literally ran until I threw up. There was nothing else I could do. And you got to be the change you want to see. And then maybe best case scenario inspires everyone else. And then you guys do end up winning because everybody hustled that last 1%. But if you don't and no one else tried, you can go, I don't know, man. You know, I tried. I remember going in May 30th, 2013. I remember walking into the testing facility to take the MCAT. And I was like, I have been studying for nine months. I was like, I'm, I was at peace. I was at like a death row peace. I was like, I have done everything in my power. I skipped partying my senior year of college. I didn't go to football games. I didn't go out and drink. I didn't hit on girls. I studied every Saturday and Sunday moment that I had free. And there was like a peace that came over me. And then I ended up acing it. But even if I didn't, it was okay. Because I was like, it's what else can I do? And I think that that's what we need is be the change you want to see in the world, not just because it could it could inspire everyone else, but it's also it liberates yourself. If, if it all goes to hell and there is a great reset and the robot police enforce their rules and there's top-down control and we turn into some technocratic dystopian hell, I can, you know... I did 500 podcast episodes. I spent all my days trying to get these different guests. I did my best. I lost nearly every friend in the process. Most people think I'm insane. I don't know if they're entirely incorrect. But you know what? I tried. And there's peace in that. And when they throw me in the gulag and shoot me, I'll be like, eh, you know, I'll have the same peace I took I had before taking the MCAT. I'll be like, you can't take that from me. I truly tried my best. And... I don't know. Closing thoughts, Dr. Nass, and we'll wrap this one up. I know you got a patient. Um, closing thoughts. Or not. I still got you for 15 minutes. You, you can talk longer. Well, um, I'm reminded of uh, writer C.J. Hopkins, an American living in Berlin, who... Um, said that actually you can talk till you're blue in your face to your friends and relatives and it, and they don't hear you because they're actually living in a different reality. It's as if they are in a cult. Um, and you can't have one or two facts and get through to them. You have to shift the reality. And that part of that is letting them see the, the fangs 
the you know on the rulers uh what's coming with their reality so that's kind of theoretical but um it's i guess what i'm saying is it may not be it's it's a lot harder than everybody thought it would be to talk to the people who don't share our views but it has to be done we have to find a way to break through it's critical we don't know how to do it yet and that's what we need to be working on yeah it's i i kind of think where we are right now is almost inevitable you know anyone yuri bezmanov anyone can say you know the destruction of america is decades away but it's been decades in the making and they're you know making everyone hate their own country and america's evil and it's at a certain point you can only have so many like soviet defectors say that before maybe it just has to come here and then and only then can everyone have the shit scared out of them you go i can't go into a store without this vaccine card but a lot of people are dying from this vaccine well, this doesn't seem right, and you start talking about it, and then you get banned from social media. Maybe it has to come home before you know. Maybe you have to be outside and and be cold to go. Oh, I really should have paid my power bill because I don't have a heater. Like, <laughs> you can get the emails. You know, your your payment's coming up. You're gonna default, and it's not until you're like, oh man, I'm freezing. You know, before you're like, uh, it might be that it has to come home. Like there, maybe there was never any other maybe, option. Maybe it. It's going to take that, but we have to do it before the robot police are here. Before the we don't have a lot of time, so we got to figure it out even before people are ice cold. Yeah, even before we're all enslaved. Yeah, you gotta you gotta hope that there's an insider programming the robo police, and they just you know I don't know they insert the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita, and the robo police are actually just like these bulletproof. Buddhist Jesuses who do, who do nothing but who do nothing but carry out the most just society ever. It might be the most ironic counter coup ever. Their final weapon. Who knows? I can, I can you hope. got a lot of novels in you. I, I do, I do, and I and it's a shame I got banned from YouTube. It's you know, I don't know. Do you think? You know what? I'm going to keep you for my last ten minutes. I'm going to be I'm going to be greedy. What do you think about simulation theory? Do you think we're living in a program? We're living in a simulation or a dream? To me, it's not um, valuable to okay. to speculate. Yeah, because what difference? I don't see where that get us. Yeah, gets us anywhere. Yeah, whether it turns out to be a simulation or not, like what difference does it make? Right. Yeah. I mean, we're all sharing a general reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, there can be other realities. I mean, I think that intuition gives you a lot of information. I think I've made a lot of diagnoses over the years through intuition rather than, you know, thought. Um, I don't know what that is. You know, I, I, I almost was hit by a car recently. And then at the last second, I jumped back and, you know, people thought I was hit, but I wasn't. So... I think there are other forces in the universe that we don't understand, and I hope we're able to use them. But in terms of predicting what's going to happen, anything can happen. I mean, in the history of the world, most people have led difficult lives. And when there has been governance, it's tended to be very harsh. So, you know, if history repeats itself, 
we're going to have a hard time. This was a very brief period where we had relative freedom. On the other hand, you know, anything can happen. I, I don't want to predict. I, I'm with you. I think we all have to do the best we can. And, and I think it's really important for us to embody what, what our souls tell us to be. I mean, I feel incredibly lucky that I've, I uh, perhaps because I got divorced when I was pretty young. And so I didn't have a husband that I had to, to worry about um, making a certain amount of money or doing certain things. And I did what, you know, my inner voice suggested, what my being told me to do. And, and I've had a great life. And I, I don't know if that's the path for everybody, but it worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. I was getting ready to go to medical school. And the day I graduated, I went to the went to my friend's lake house, with my best friend, and we ate some psychedelic mushrooms, and we sat in a, a, a field and meditated for like seven hours in the sun. And that's when I decided not to go to medical school because I was like, my heart, I was like, it, it sounded good on paper and in my mind. Dr. Kerrigan, going to have a white coat. Everyone's going to be proud of me. But I was like, it's not what I want to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to make a living doing what I love and have fun. And I didn't even know what I loved. So it was kind of difficult. And it took it took eight years, eight years later. And I finally, just this past April, I lived at home for five years because I was just broke. And uh, fly in here. This past April, I moved into my own apartment paid for by this podcast. And it's... It would have been a lot safer to just go be a doctor. And it's like uh, what Maya Angelou said, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story. And, you know, I'm not married. I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have kids. I don't have pets. I don't have debts. It's just me. I make my schedule. I have no boss. I am experiencing a level of freedom that I think I truly think very few people ever have, but I think you know what I'm talking about. And it's, I follow my heart and it's, I mean, it's what Charles Bukowski said, you know, you'll struggle, you'll be abandoned, you'll be poor, you might be in jail, you might even starve, you'll, there'll be derision, your family will abandon you. But if you stick with it and you make it, I think it's quote is, uh, the nights will rage with fire. You will be alone with the gods and you will laugh or and you will live, you will ride life straight into perfect laughter. And I mean, that's a guy who's an alcoholic and worked at post office until, until his like sixties and then became a, an incredibly rich, famous uh, author. But I always, I would always imagine that. I'd just be like, what happens if I just stick with it? What happens? All my friends are getting married and they have their own houses and kids. And, you know, I'm 26, 27, 28, 20, living above my parents' garage. What the hell am I doing? But now I wake up, do whatever I want, talk to whoever I want. I mean, how many people woke up on a Tuesday and decided to have an hour-long discussion about robot armies with a physician? Like, <laughs> this is my job. And after this, I got another podcast talking to an ex-CIA agent, and then I'm going to listen to an audiobook and play video games in pajamas tonight. It, I don't know. It's So yeah, you know what? When you put it that way, what does it matter if it's a simulation or real? It's the <laughs> same inner journey of just being free 
and finding peace. And yeah, I don't know. It's my closing thoughts will be as kind of a question to you is I've been thinking of this more and more. Do you think that it almost seems like life is a form of school or, or test and it's so absurd that we're in this, I mean, aside from the fact that we're, we're apes that stand on our hind legs and talk and we live on a rock flying around a star in the middle of infinity. I mean, that's absurd enough. But the fact that we're living right now and there's this seeming force of good and evil and freedom and, 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 and tyranny, it almost seems like there's some sort of like selection going on. And I don't know what that is and I'm not implying any religious tones to that or what, it's an open-ended thing. But it almost seems like a sort of like a sort of test. And I don't know, I mean, is life just like, is it high school? It feels long, but when it's over, there's an even bigger thing, college. And after college, there's an even bigger thing, adulthood. I mean, is there a weird selection to see how how we act in, in you know, just depressing odds, fighting a power that's so much greater than us, you know, the global dictatorship with a podcast but it almost feels like we're being tested to see what we do in the face of insurmountable odds. Like, do we stick to our core and do the right thing just because it's the right thing? I don't know. And I don't know what that selection is for. Who knows? Maybe it's evil. Maybe the selection is to find the good guys so you can kill them. I don't know. Do you think there's, or what are your thoughts? There's no way to prove it. So I don't even need to say, you know, what are your thoughts on that's credibility? What are your just thoughts on that? My thought, my only thought, <clears throat> is if you're in contact with your inner voice or your intuition, you'll know what the right thing to do is, what the right thing for you to do is. And if you do it, you will feel good. That's all. That's that's all I can tell you <laughs> that's, at the end of the day. But I think that's simple, yeah. You don't need a guidebook. Just do the right thing, Right. So, so Winnie the Pooh, if you tell the truth, you don't need to remember anything. It's kind of like, there's like another take on that. It's like, just do the right thing. It's like, it's all good. You don't, don't worry about it. Just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. You don't need to know anything. You don't need to understand Bernoulli's principle or human physiology. Just do the right thing. It doesn't matter. So, well, how it feels, you see? Yeah. The right thing feels yes. good. Yes. You have to use your body as the barometer. Yeah. Yeah, or as Ram Dass would say, he'd say, move from your head to your heart. You know, slowly move away, and it will, as you open up more and more, like everything flows in. There's another quote. If you if you stop stop fighting like the stream and just pick your legs up and float downstream, like the river will take you home. And it's, yeah, I don't know. There's a piece in that, in that it's, I do think there's something much greater than all of this. I don't know what it is, but it's, I don't know. I do think the power of love ultimately will be like a hydrogen bomb. And the power of evil will be, you know, like a, I don't know, a paper mache, a paper tiger. It will just be, it won't even be conceivable at how powerful love is. And that's idyllic. And maybe I'm wrong. And you know, if I'm wrong, I'd rather die with that delusion than be right in a depressing world. But you've got a patient, and I told you I would let you go. 
and I am right on time and I will let you go. And uh, thank you because this was a sort of therapy session for me that I didn't even know I needed. So thank you very much, Dr. Ness. It's been fun. Yes. I will, nice. Thanks. You as well. I'll, hey, I'll send you the, I'll send you the link to the videos and the Spotify and all that good stuff. Great. All right. Thank you so Take much. Take care. Mm -hmm. Have Recording a, have a wonderful evening.